Hello and welcome to Accountant Instruction Help and How To. In this lecture, we're going to be talking about the process cost system. At the end of this, we will be able to define what the process cost system is and when it would be applicable for use, list accounts involved in the process cost system, basically related to inventory, journalize the activity related to the production of inventory using the process cost system. First, what is the process cost system? Last time we talked about the job cost system, the process cost system is the other major system that would be put in place if we were actually manufacturing goods, meaning we're taking those goods from the raw material through the working process to the finished good process and then ultimately selling them rather than if we were just buying and selling the inventory within a merchandising type of setup where we just buy the inventory, mark it up, and then sell it. So we're actually producing the inventory in some way. Remember that anytime we want to think about inventory, we want to think that it has raw materials, it's got the stuff involved, we're making those guitars or whatever, it's got the stuff in it, and then it also has the direct labor and the overhead. In the case of a manufacturing company, we have all those components com included in part in the particular company that's making the process. When do we use a process cost system as opposed to a job cost system while in the manufacturing process? Usually there's some components that will be listed out as to when this would be the case, and more of these components being the case would indicate that we would have a process cost system, those components being that we have similar items, meaning they're all homogenous in nature. They're the same in nature. And usually because they're the same in nature, they're probably the same in nature because of the fact that we're trying to maximize the production process and then have very similar things being made in terms of output. Therefore, the production costs per unit are much lower for the most part. That's the point. We're trying to make all everything standardized, everything the same, the process the same, so that the output is much the same. For example, if we're making Microsoft computer chips of some kind, we're trying to make the system so perfect that the computer chips just process through the system. All the material gets put in there, probably automated more than labor-based, but the automation gets in there through the machinery process and then the, uh, all the chips are going to be the same at the, at the same time. That process, of course, is designed to drive down costs, therefore the cost of units will be less, as opposed to the job cost system, where the whole point is that they're usually customized. We might be having a customized job in terms of construction, where the jobs are different in nature. We can't just have one process and make that process kind of perfect to make the, the products all the same. We have to have different products to customize them to different areas, those things could be in things like cars or custom boats, any kind of custom jobs that we're going to have. We are not going to be able to put the system down to the point where we have just one product pressed out at the end. we got to have the customization process. So we are at the point this time where we have that process cost system. And the types of goods I usually think about are like oil refineries where we just refine the oil. And, of course, we're, that's all the same process. The end product is going to be all the same. I, often, I like to think about taffy or some kind of the hard candy or something. I've watched those. Uh, shows on the on the channel where they make the food and it, it always looks like some Dr. Seuss type of machine where they put the ingredients on one side and then the whole factory is a machine that basically <laughs> makes it into this candy that's all the same at the other side. That of course is a process cost system. All the candy is going to be exactly the same and instead of measuring that by job, we can't really measure it by job. There aren't any particular jobs per se to measure by. Therefore, we got to measure it by process. So if we're making like candy things, then of course the process might be that we have the mixing department or something, and then we've got the packaging department where they put the package on it, and then it, then it would be the end. So we'd have multiple different kind of sections in it. How do, It's going to be much the same. I'm going to look at the journal entries first, just to look at the flow of the journal entries. The journal entries will look much the same as they had for the job cost in that 
We're going to be going through the raw materials, the working process to the finished goods. We're going to, have to apply overhead to the process rather than by job. However, the thing that differs is, is that we're have, we could have different working processes per uh, section. So if we had the mixing department and the packaging department, we can have a working process for the mixing. And then when it goes from the, to the packaging, even though it's still in working process, it's still in a different department of working process. So now it's in the packaging. So we could have multiple uh, working process accounts. We're going to have kind of a simple method that we're going to be working through one department and just look at the journal entries first. The other thing we're going to have is, is the idea of applying the costs from run one process to the next. If you, for example, if we have stuff that's still in there at the end of the month at, in one department, the question is how much, how done is it and, and how are we going to allocate the cost between the two departments, between work in process A and work in process B or work in process B and um, the stuff that has been finished. For that, we're going to use the concept of equivalent units, which we will not be calculating at this time. We're going to give those numbers for the problem at this point and focus in on the journal entries, just processing through the journal entries. And then at the next one, we'll take a look at that equivalent unit calculation. All right, so in order to do this, we're going to have our same kind of trial balance we're thinking about. We want to think about all the accounts and not just the accounts we're working out because we want to see it in context. So we are imagining the trial balance, big red T, trial balance. We have the assets, then the liabilities, and the equity. Uh, and then the income statement, first asset being, of course, cash. I'm imagining the assets being in green. On the left-hand side, debit balance for cash in the trial balance. Then accounts receivable, typical account. It's going to be in green. Left-hand side, debit balance for that asset. Then we have the new accounts within our process cost systems, within job costs and process costs, raw materials inventory. That, of course, is the raw material inventory. So that's the stuff in terms of the mixing. If we're making the taffy, that's like the sugar, I guess, that's going to go in there. So we've got the raw materials, and that's going to be an asset, left-hand side, green account. Then we've got the work and process account. And we're just I'm going to work through the one department in a work and process account, so we're going to have a work and process. But just remember, that's an asset. It's, a green, it's going to be green. It's going to be a debit account. We could have multiple departments. We could have more than one work and process account. Finished goods, then, of course, it's going to go to finished goods. Once we finish the taffy and it's done and it's been packaged and what, then it's finished. And it's got to go to the finished goods. That's going to be in the inventory just as we had before. And then we've got the factory overhead. Remember, that's all the other stuff that's in the factory that's not direct, direct, meaning we couldn't put it directly in there. We put it in the factory overhead then to be applied to the different processes in some way. Anything that says factory is going to be put in the factory overhead first, and then it's going to be applied to the jobs. Then we have our typical accounts, but we got the factory equipment, similar to just property plant equipment, equipment, but it's on the factory. So that means the depreciation related to it will then be <laughs> expensed in terms of, uh, part of the factory overhead, but it's just equipment, property planning equipment. And then we have the accumulated depreciation related to it, last asset. However, this asset is a contra asset related to the equipment. Therefore, it's still a green account, but it has a credit balance. And we're imagining that green credit on the right-hand side, very unusual type of asset because it's related to the factory overhead. And then we've got the liabilities. We're going to say accounts payable, only liability, just to put it in context. I'm going to imagine it as yellow on the right-hand side of the big red T. And then we've got our equity accounts. I'm just going to imagine retained earnings. That's going to be the bright blue account. Remember that uh, the equity account retained earnings is a credit balance as well. Right-hand side of the big red T. And then we got sales. That's a revenue account. It's going to be in dark. And I'm imagining navy blue. And because it's part of the equity section, but it's broken out separately on the trial balance, it's going to be on the right-hand side of the T. Revenue is a credit balance. And then all the expenses, main one being cost of goods sold, main expense. And it's going to be in the navy blue as well because it's part of equity, but it's on the income statement. And it's going to be a debit balance like all other expenses. 
like utilities expense and salaries expense and whatnot. All those will be then debits. All right, so we're imagining that. We're going to be focusing in, of course, on the inventory accounts. And so first transaction, we're going to say we purchase raw materials on credit. So that's going to be a typical journal entry. We can we could probably figure that out before we even looked at uh, this this new stuff here. And if first question, did we pay cash? No, we bought it on credit. Therefore, what did we get? We got raw materials. We look at our account. We're going to say raw materials. It's up in the assets section. It's got a debit balance on our trial balance. We got more of it. Therefore, we need to make it go up. We're going to do the same thing to it, which in this case is another debit. Our journal entry would therefore be debit to raw materials 300,000. We're going to credit. We're not paying cash. Therefore, we're going to credit accounts payable in this case. Liability. Liability has a credit balance. We journalized it as a credit, making the liability go up. We owe more money. So that's going to be the first purchase. If we think about our general ledger, I'm going to say the raw materials first had 68,000. Now we bought 300,000. So it went up in the debit direction to 368,000. That's going to be the amount on the general ledger. That is the amount on the trial balance. Now, the raw materials that we had is not in work and process yet. Just like we did with like the wood and the guitars, if we're making the taffy or something, this is basically sugar in the corner. We bought 300,000 worth of sugar, and we're going to make that into the taffy. So it hasn't gone into the work and process yet. We're going to requisition it once we start the process uh, and refining that taffy down into sugar. So then we have the factory depreciation. Factory depreciation, 50,000. Now, factory depreciation means it's on the factory. When we hear the journal entry related to depreciation, you probably think we've been drilled into our heads just to memorize the journal entry as debit to depreciation expense, credit to uh, accumulated depreciation. However, that's because that was depreciation that was used in order to help us generate revenue in the same time period. In this case, the depreciation is used in order to help us to generate the asset, that asset being the taffy that we're making, our inventory asset and therefore it needs to be part of that inventory. However, we don't know which process to apply that depreciation to because, uh, we, because we don't know where to put it yet. So what we're going to do is we're going to put it in the factory overhead. So just like we did in the job cost system, depreciation, instead of depreciation expense, we're debiting factory overhead for the depreciation, and we will then credit accumulated depreciation as we would normally for a normal depreciation journal entry. Therefore, if we looked at factory overhead, it was at zero, we put 50000 in there. We have not yet applied it to any work in process yet. So it's just up there 50000 And then, of course, the accumulated depreciation is that contra asset. And so it gets credited, which makes the book value of the property, plant, and equipment go down, which is the factory equipment minus the accumulated depreciation, the debit minus the credit. Then we're going to record uh, factory utility. So that was 28000 for the utility. Again, just like with the job cost system, when we have anything that says factory, we're going to put it basically into the inventory as opposed to what we've been drilled into our head, which would say utility expense. I mean, we, it's, it's kind of hard to say utilities without utilities expense. But it's not an expense in this case because we use the utility in order to help us to make an asset, not in order to help us generate revenue in this time period. It will help us generate revenue, but not until we sell the inventory in the form of cost of goods sold being the time and form of the expense once we sell it. Therefore, in this case, we're going to put the debit into factory overhead because we don't know what process to put it in there. So we're going to put it in the factory overhead. Then we're going to apply it out at a later time. And we're going to credit it to, I'm going to put it into accounts payable as if we haven't paid it yet. So we're going to credit accounts payable rather than cash. What's that going to do to factory overhead? Well, we had 50000 in there because of depreciation. 
Now we're just dumping in this one for utilities expense. We're just putting everything in there that we couldn't apply to the process directly. Then we have the direct materials. Direct materials, that's the sugar that we're putting into the taffy. And that's going to be 214500 Okay, so we're going to put that in there. And that we can apply to the process. So if we're putting that into the first process of obviously we requisition the sugar from like the warehouse. And we're going to put it into the process here. So we know uh, the process. We don't need to put that in the factory overhead and then apply it. It's direct material. So it's going to go into the mixing, I guess, department. And therefore, we're going to put it into work in process for the mixing department. And that's going to be an asset. If we look at that, it's an asset. It's up in the inventory. It's got a debit balance. We're going to make it go up by doing the same thing to it, which is another debit of 214500 The credit will go to raw materials. So if we were to visualize the trial balance here, we just got raw materials as an asset. And then right underneath it, I got work in process. What happened? Well, work in process went up with a debit because it's an, it's an asset. We did the same thing to it, making it go up. And raw materials went down with a credit because it's an asset with a debit balance. And we did the opposite thing to it, which is a credit. If we then looked at our general ledger in the raw materials, we were left last time with 368,000 debits. We credited by 214,500, bringing it down to 153,500. If we look at the work in process last time, we started at 419,000. We debited it by the 214,500 that we put into that particular process. Let's call it the mixing department. And it goes up to uh, 633,500. Next, we have the indirect materials, 68,000. What, what are indirect materials? Well, that's the other stuff that's going to go into the process. So if there's other kind of small things that we put into our taffy here or something, then we're going to put that in uh, into the process. And we're not going to measure it directly because those small things, it would, it would cost too much to basically measure these directly. So we're going to say same kind of concept on the indirect materials. And therefore, since we can't you know, measure it directly to the process we're going into, say we have some indirect materials that are going to be in the mixing department and the uh, packaging department, we can't apply it out specifically or it would cost too much for us to apply it out, just like maintenance on the machinery or something like that, oil or something. Then we would then put it in the factory overhead and then apply it out to the different departments. So th therefore, we're going to put the indirect materials in the factory overhead, 68,000, and we will then credit the raw materials. Once again, remember that when we have the raw materials, we could have two different raw materials or one. We might just say all the raw materials is in one group, whether it be direct or indirect, or we might say that we have the indirect materials, raw materials, and the direct raw materials in separate accounts. So just uh, be aware of that. depends on the problem that we will be working. Factory overhead then, it had 50000 in for, the, I think there was a depreciation, and then we put in another 28000 for uh, indirect, indirect labor, was it? And then, and then we put in, now we're putting in 68000 for um, the indirect materials, bringing the balance up to 146000 So notice what factory overhead is just like kind of a dumping ground for all the stuff we couldn't apply directly to the process, but which we do want to include in the inventory in some way, which we'll estimate to do at a later time. What happened to the raw materials? It was at uh, 153.5 debit, and we credited 68,000, bringing it down to 85,500. Next thing, direct labor used. So now we're going to record the direct labor. Now, I do want to point out when we think about the labor again, when we think about labor, we're processing payroll. This is payroll. Basically, we're processing. We're not going to deal with payroll taxes at this point. 
the most simplified way that we've been trained to think about the normal easy journal entry for labor or wages or payroll would be debit payroll expense and credit cash and in this case once again the expense is not going to be expensed at this time because we didn't use it to make uh, to generate revenue in this time period we used it to generate the assets that asset being inventory it's direct meaning we can directly apply it to the particular process it is whether that be I don't know if it's the mixing department or if it's the uh, packaging department we can apply it directly out we know we know what's what in that therefore we're gonna that's what we're gonna do we're not gonna put it into factory overhead we're gonna apply it directly to work and process so we're replacing our normal payroll journal entry with the where we had wages expense the debit now the debit's going to go into work and process that dumping ground for everything we couldn't put into a particular process because we don't know which process to put it to and then we're going to credit we could credit cash and that would be like the most simplified journal entry we would debit the work and process for the for the uh, inventory and we could credit the cash a lot of books will put it into factory payroll payable or some type of payroll account and the reason is that we the problem wants to be able to show basically that hey this journal entry was for the basically the payroll that's related to the direct materials that went in the work and process by just the accounts that are there and norm normally if it was like uh if we were debiting wages expense we would know it because we debited wages expense we don't really need a description to tell us that but when we put it into like work and process obviously it doesn't say work and process for payroll everything is grouped into work and process in there including uh the direct labor the overhead and the direct materials so uh, in this case if we put a payable for the payroll then it kind of tells us that or we can of course put a description in there and say hey this was the work in process related to direct materials now what's going to happen to the work in process we were last time at 633,500 debit we debited it again by the labor in this case 780,000 bringing our balance to 1,413,500 at this time Next, we have indirect labor. So indirect labor, we're going to say 790000 What is indirect labor? That's going to be the labor that we couldn't apply to a specific job. So again, it could be the maintenance on the factory, that we have the maintenance that's in both departments, that's in like the mixing department and the packaging department, and we don't know which department to put that labor to, so we could put it into the overhead first, and then we'll apply it out. Or it could be the supervisor salary. The supervisor walks around and, and thinks they're like looking at both, both sides of things and whatnot, and therefore we don't know which department to put that into therefore we'll put it into the factory overhead and then apply it out at a later time so we're going to say the indirect labor we're going to debit factory overhead at this time same time period and same process as with the direct labor in that we're processing the payroll we're processing the payroll this being the payroll for the people that are indirect labor but still in the in the process of the manufacturing and therefore when we process the payroll instead of debiting the wages expense or payroll expense we're debiting in this case factory overhead whether rather than the work and process we debited when we actually knew which process to apply it to so we're debiting the factory overhead and then we're going to credit the factory payroll payable as we did last time again we could have credited cash but we're going to put it into a payable at this time and now in the factory overhead we've got the we remember what we put in there we put in 50,000 for depreciation we put in 28,000 I forgot what that was for but it could be it could be indirect labor somewhere in 68,000 for uh, another piece all these types of things are going to be in the, the manufacturing process but we didn't know which process to put it in there now we're putting in 790,000 for the indirect labor bringing the the process up to a total balance of 936,000 at this point 
Now we're going to use the overhead rate uh, as a percent of direct labor. So what that means is that we have a predetermined rate. And just like we did with the job cost system, we have this amount in the uh, overhead account now. We need to apply that out to the departments. We don't know which process to put that into. We used a predetermined overhead rate. We'll talk about how to calculate the predetermined overhead rate at a later time. But we need to base that predetermined overhead rate based on something that shows us which process we should we should put all this stuff to because the two processes may not be equal if we have the mixing department and we got the packaging department it may be that the mixing department is bigger in some way or, or something and therefore we should apply more out again we we need a cost driver to do that we could use multiple cost drivers for all the different things that we put in there and that would be more accurate but we need to pick at least one cost driver that would give us kind of some reasonable way to allocate between the two oftentimes it will be direct labor or maybe machine hours because that will tell us how big how big the process is in relation to each other and so based on that analysis we chose direct labor and we're going to say 120,000 of the direct labor used that's the rate we're going to use again the factory overhead allocation has nothing to do with direct labor direct labor is being used to to give us a ratio of how big the departments are in relation to each other, then we can basically use that kind of ratio in order to allocate out what's in the factory overhead uh, based on some reasonable estimate so that we can compensate for the different sizes of the different uh, processes that are happening. So if we take, if we take that 780,000 times the 120 overhead rate that we, was, we predetermined, we get work in process inventory of uh, 936 we're going to debit the work and process inventory for that 936 and we're going to credit the factory overhead for that 936 so we put all this stuff into factory overhead we have a debit balance in factory overhead up at this time of the uh, 936,000 and we applied out the 936 based on our calculation of 780,000 times that 120 now, it happened to be that this case, that that 936 happened to be exactly what was in there, which may not be the case. So it's probably not the case most of the time, meaning we may over and under apply the factory overhead when we take it out of the factory over and apply it to the departments. So keep that in mind at a later time. But in this case, where we had 936 in there, we're crediting the factory overhead to take it out of factory overhead and now apply it out. We're just applying it out. I'm going to apply it out to the work in process account this time. So we're putting it into the work in process account. So now within our work in process account, our department here, we've we've got the beginning balance was 419,000. We debited it by the direct labor, the uh, direct materials and the overhead, the, the same things that we're always gonna put into the work in process, except that we may have multiple work in process accounts when we talk about a process cost system as opposed to a job cost system, which will have one work in process account. And so we've increased it by 214,500, 780,000, and 936, bringing the balance in working process to 2,349,500. Now we're going to talk about how much this needs to be processed out of this particular work and process account. In order to do that, we would use units of production, and we'll talk about units of production and some estimation methods uh, next time. But in this case, we're going to need to calculate the cost of goods manufactured in order to calculate this process. So cost of goods manufactured is going to be a number that will be used in the cost of goods sold formula. So remember the cost of goods sold formula is going to be in beginning inventory plus purchases 
but in this case we didn't we're not putting purchases in there we're going to have the cost of goods manufactured so instead of us purchasing the inventory we've got the stuff we manufactured so the cost the the beginning inventory finished goods inventory plus the cost of uh, goods purchase is now replaced with cost of goods manufactured gives us the inventory available for sale minus the ending inventory so now we have instead of purchases we got to plug in this cost of goods manufactured in order to do that we need to have another calculation to figure out what the cost of goods manufactured is when we think about the cost of goods manufactured what will that include well it's going to include the direct materials it's going to include the direct labor it's going to include the overhead those are the three amounts that we put into our work and process account for the for a particular department and so we have those from the work and process general ledger account in our case it was two hundred fourteen thousand five hundred seven hundred eighty thousand nine hundred thirty six thousand respectively bringing the activity to one million nine hundred thirty thousand five hundred for this current period we had a beginning balance in there of the four hundred nineteen thousand so now we're going to add the beginning balance that the activity was the one million nine thirty five hundred direct material labor and overhead for this time period we had stuff in there from last time period in the beginning work in process of 419,000. So if we add that in, we have the total work in process of the 1,950,500 plus the 419,000, bringing us to 2,349,500 in our example. Then we're gonna need to figure out how much is in ending work in process. And again, we may, we're gonna need to do some estimates to do that. I'm gonna give us it in this process Basically, how would we figure that out? We got to kind of count it in some way. We've got to count what's in ending work in process, what's still there and hasn't hasn't been processed out. In order to do that, we're going to have to use some estimates. We're going to use equivalent units, which we will calculate at a later time. But if we had the total cost of work in process and we said that the that the less the ending work in process of we determined it to be 533,000 then that would give us the cost of goods manufactured 1,816,500 that would be the assumption of this stuff that got transferred from work and process to the next uh, piece the next process therefore if we were to take a look at the journal entry we're going to take it out of this work and process and bring it to the next piece which in this case I'm going to say is the finished goods so we're taking it out of work and process, put it into finished goods. Therefore, that cost of goods manufactured is going to be a debit to finished goods, 1816500 and a credit to work and process, 1816500 So this work and process account went down. So it had the 2,3495. We credited it by 1,815,500, bringing it to 533,000. We Put it into the ending work in process right underneath it, which had 616,000. We debited it by the 1,816,500, bringing it to 200, 2,436,500. So all that happened, if we looked at the trial balance, these accounts would be right next to each other. We'd have the work in process that went down, asset account in the green area, and then we had the finished goods that went up, asset account, green area. Next, we're going to record a sale, and in order to do that, we're going to have to we're going to calculate the cost of goods sold as well. So we're going to say that we had sales of two million five hundred five hundred thousand, and we're going to record this as like one lump journal entry. So we're going to have our familiar journal entry if we sold it on account. So we didn't get cash. What did we get? We got accounts receivable. We're going to debit accounts receivable two million five hundred thousand. We're going to credit sales two million five hundred thousand. Where does that number come from? Again, it has nothing to do with our cost per se. 
we may use the cost to somehow come up with the sales price, but a book problem is going to have to give you the sales price because there's different ways that that determination will be made. We have been spending all our time, of course, on the cost, not the sales price. Then the second half of the journal entry, the sales journal entry, is the one that we've been kind of taking a look at. And that is going to be the journal entry where we have to reduce the inventory. Inventory being an asset, we're going to make it go down. So we're going to credit inventory and we're going to debit. Finally, the expense that we've been working on. Uh, now we can expense all those costs that we've been accumulated in form of cost of goods sold. In order to do that, we're going to do the cost of goods sold calculation for manufacturing company being beginning finished goods inventory. So that's kind of the same for manufacturing company as it is for a merchandising company. But then that second number not purchases because we didn't just purchase we made this stuff and therefore instead of purchases we're going to add to it cost of goods manufactured which we had just calculated to be last time 1,860,500 that plus the beginning balance of 616,000 is cost of goods available for sale of 2,432,500 then we need to determine what uh, finished goods inventory is Again, we'll talk about equivalent units next time and how we're going to estimate that. In this problem, we're going to give that. We're going to say we determined that that was 176000 And therefore, if we subtract that out, we got cost of goods sold 2256499 Therefore, for the period, we have cost of goods sold of 2 million. In our journal entry, we're debiting cost of goods sold 2256499 And we are crediting finished goods inventory for two million two fifty six four ninety nine therefore what happens to finished goods inventory it was at the finished goods inventory was at two million four thirty two five hundred we credited it by two million two fifty six four ninety nine bringing it down to one seventy six thousand base and the debit went to cost of goods sold which is on the income statement that's the expense account the expense account went up by the two million two fifty six four ninety nine What's the effect on net income then? Well, net income went up by the 2500000 for the sales price. And then it's going down by the cost of goods sold. So the sales minus the expenses and the expenses being the cost of goods sold of uh, 2256499 for a net income or a gross profit of 243501